Crippled Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Well, hey there. Welcome to a brand new episode of Disability After Dark. You know the drill. My name is Andrew Gerza. I'm your disabled dreamboat, your disabled daddy, your thick cripple, all the things. And I'm excited to talk about sex and disability with you. This episode is going to be a super fun one because it's, it's another episode where we dive back into Andrew's nostalgic moments and so excited to share this one with you. So let's, uh, let's actually, before we start the show, I want to let you know that I was doing some research about the podcast. I, I always check the numbers and read the numbers and do my job to make sure that the podcast is hitting the right notes and, and I want to see where people are listening from and I want to understand kind of the metrics of my of the work to see who I can target things to and all that stuff and so I noticed that three states are getting some amazing traction with this podcast California is the state that people are listening to the most in America thank you so much um and then there's New York thank you I was just there I love New York so much and then there is um Texas so Everything's bigger in Texas, even my disabled dick. Um, yeah, I'm flirty. Yeah, I am. That's the whole point of this podcast. You don't know my life. Anyway, um, <laughs> so for those three states, I would love to come out there and do talks for you, California, New York, and Texas. I would love to bring Disability After Dark to you for to do a live show there. I'd love to, to talk to people there. I'd love to have... Minnesota's from there. I'd love, I would love to come to you. So if you want me out there, and you know, you know, people who want to sponsor something like this, and me to do a live show out there, let me know. And we'll talk about it. Let's figure it out. So a couple of months ago, a friend of mine, a longtime friend of mine, asked me if I would give a lecture on disability to her class of students at a university. I get asked all the time to do this stuff, and I love. This is what I do. When I say talks, this is the kind of stuff I do. I give talks to universities all over the world about disability and sexuality via Skype or, or in person. But LA, New York, and Texas, I want to come to you. Let's figure it out. But, uh, so, uh, she asked me to give a lecture. I said, sure. So what's the topic? Like, what, what am I going to be talking on? My usual spiel about sexuality? What's, what, what am I doing? And she, and so I was ready to give like a super professional discussion of like sexuality, identity, and ableism, all that kind of stuff. You know, when you when you talk to university students, you take on this really like, I'm professorial now. I'm going to give you a lecture. And it's really hard to like get out of that when you're talking to students. But I try really hard. But I was like, okay, what's the topic? And she was like, actually, how would you feel about giving a lecture about your time as a disabled camper? Because this friend and I actually met at summer camp years and years ago, a summer camp that I went to for summers and summers for specifically designed for 
disabled youth and disabled kids. And I, I, as soon as she asked me, a huge, giant grin came over my face because I have so many memories about this camp. I was a precocious, kind of annoying, kind of super, like, super queer, but didn't realize it yet, kid. From the mid-90s to the, the early 2000s is when is when these stories I'm going to be telling today are taking place. There are pictures of me from this period. I will post them in the show notes because I look hilarious and ridiculous. My hair is many colors. I may have painted my nails in one or two. There's one where I'm definitely wearing like big, big, be- big, big beads around my neck because I thought they were cool. I am skinny as a rake, but I think I'm so hot. There's so the, these pictures are hilarious. Like you want to see Andrew from back in the day? I will show you on the, in the show notes for sure. But I said, okay, like that's a great. I, I I would love to talk to these students about camp. Why? And she goes, well, actually, they're training to become camp counselors themselves, and I wanted you to use your experiences as a, as a camper to guide them. And I was like, well, that's really cool. And I, I, I'm usually only asked to talk about sex. I, I was like, this is a totally different vein for me. This is something new. I, of course I'll do it. So my friend also said, but hey, because you work in sexuality and disability, I also want you to talk about kind of your experience about how camp shaped your sexuality and how all those things and what that meant for you and how you managed queerness and disability there and talk about that too. So... For this episode, I want to take you back to my summers as a disabled camper and how that transformed me into the naughty, queer cripple you know and love today. So I remember when I was first introduced to camp, it was actually a respite for my parents. A lot of these camps came into being because parents who were living with disabled kids needed kind of a break from their kids for a couple weeks, a week, two weeks, sometimes three weeks. Sometimes a month. I used to, I stayed at camp for one summer for literally six and a half weeks because I loved it so much. But these camps were great for parents with kids with disabilities because they needed some time away and they wanted to give their kid the independence and to, to make friendships and to also take a fucking break from their disabled kids because their disabled kids are great, but they're they are let's be real they're a lot of work and sometimes you need a you need you just need a break. So my mom decided when I was six years old that I would go to these summer camps and I would do that with I would do that every summer and initially initially for the first couple of years I cried I hated them the whole idea of leaving my mom was like what are you doing you're abandoning me no 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 you can't do that and so then you know I would eventually realize how great camp was and how much community was there and as I got older as I hit around I would say nine or ten camp really became my home and it's it and I remember every summer we would drive up there my mom and I would drive up there in our van together it was two hours I think northwest of where I lived or something it was it was on one of the Great Lakes uh and and I we would go and we would go we would make a day a day of it of us going up there together and it was really important for me that we went and did this and I and you know when I realized how much this camp cost this camp cost a thousand bucks a week and my mom made sure that I could go. We didn't have a lot of money when we were growing up, and she made sure that I could do this. And so I really, I've always appreciated that she made me go to this camp, and I, I ended up loving it, but thank God for that. Thank goodness she made me go, because it really shaped who I am. And I, like, But these camps were 
places for disabled kids to go to have have a camp experience where all their needs were met. They're really unique, magical places that aren't really offered anymore. And I, I loved going because I would have attendant care and I'd have all these things set up for me and I could have fun and play and be a kid. And as I got older, I got to be a teenager and that's kind of where I want to start us off today is being a teenager at these camps um, because that's where I really learned about who I was. Like, when you got to camp, all the counselors would crowd around your car and they would, like, if you had been there the years before, they would know who you are. And immediately, without question, these young kids in their, like, mid-teens to mid-twenties would accept your disability, no question. And that isn't something that happens in the real world. And that was something that I'll never forget. I'll never forget feeling immediately accepted in my disabled identity at this camp. And that's, it just was a beautiful thing, that uh, something that I really, that I cherish because when you left camp and went out in the real world, that kind of stuff didn't happen. But these, the campers and the staff would accept your disability no matter what it was right away and figure out ways to make you feel at home. And that really helped me form a comfort around my disabled identity, which when I went out in the real world, I lost again. But camp was a place where being disabled was totally okay. Camp also totally helped me um, help connect with my queer identity, which I'll totally get to. So it helped me connect with both my queer and my disabled identities, even before before I had them. It was a place where all of these things could be openly explored, and it was okay to openly explore them. And then, of course, there was the romanticism of summer and all that stuff. So, like, remember, like, hot, wet American summer with all the sexuality and the drama and the hormones and the hilarity and the arts and crafts and the drama club and all those things. It, my camp experience was like that, except add in mobility devices, attendant care, wheelchairs, and an extra dose of drama. And that's basically was my summer camp experience. It was amazing. So I actually named this episode. This episode is uh, named... I'll get to it because I love it. I named it Wet, hot, crippled summer. (laughs) So dorky, but I love it. So one of the most important elements of my camp experience for me that that shaped my sexuality and that I've kind of neglected talking about probably as much as I should have on this podcast is that camp was one of the first places where I ever really dated another disabled person. I had two or three girlfriends over the years at camp. One who I definitely was like let's masturbate together in in a room together because that's what you do i'll never forget that experience it was super weird because i was like oh i'm not into you that way oh i really wish you were a dude this is weird but um i also you know i dated i dated two or three wheelchair using girls at the time when i was at camp and while i can honestly now say that i was never really sexually attracted to them in that way I was attracted to them as friends, and I was learning that it was okay to date other people with disabilities. I think that camp was a really neat opportunity for disabled people to realize that there are other disabled people out there, and you can be you can be with them if you choose to, and that's okay. And there were a lot of hooking up between campers, and it wasn't even hooking up, it was like... 
you're going to spend time with this person because they're disabled too and they understand your life. And there was something really powerful about that. There was something really kind of awesome about that. But I do remember the goss between the campers was like, oh, you're, you're with so-and-so? Oh, did you break up? Oh, wow. Like, it, there was a lot of that that happened almost every summer. And it was campers trying to figure out if these were romantic feelings or if these were like, oh, you're disabled too and you won't be an ableist dickwad. Maybe we should hang out. I was always really, really proud of my relationships with other disabled people at camp, especially the pretend romantic ones I had because I had never seen those things modeled for me, me before in the real world. And that's why I, th I continue to say that camp is this magical place because I had never seen other disabled people dating one another in the real world. And this was a place where that just seemed to be accepted. It was like really, it was like disabled Narnia because everything was just accepted. And I really, you learn so much about the disabled experience from watching that. And it wasn't ever something that I saw in the real world. And still today, it's not something we see in the real world very much. So I value those summers because of the things I got exposed to and the stuff I learned. And it's unfortunate that, you know, this was at a time before I was influenced by body image or all that shit and all the need to fit into the queer mask for mask communities. So it was before I was introduced to all the overt ableism and discrimination. And there was an innocence that hung over these experiences that I've, that I, that I've lost and had to remind myself to come back to. And just even talking about this right now, I realize how many times sometimes that I have lost the innocence of things and trying to be a social justice warrior and all these things you lose a lot of innocence when you do that stuff and you when you try to conform too much and camp was never about conformity camp was just about friendship and fun and maybe hooking up and so I really appreciate that I got to see disabled people hooking up with each other there's a lot more to come on this episode of disability after dark but first we're gonna play some ads from our awesome sponsor and some great listeners. So we'll do that and we'll be right back on Disability After Dark, the podcast shining light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey everyone, this is Max Sargent, and when I'm not busy making sexy porn, I tune in and turn on to Dad. That's Disability After Dark. The podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. And so should you. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners. Just wanted to let you know that I have started recording minisodes for the show. And if you're like, hey, Andrew, what's a minisode? Let me tell you. A minisode is a little tiny morsel of awesomeness of Disability After Dark where you, the listener, get to write in anything about disability you want to tell me about. A story, a letter, a thought. Uh, a topic idea, just tell me about your life as a disabled person. Um, or if you're non-disabled and you have questions about disability you want me to answer, write in and let me know, and then we can 
really build a community around disability and we'll put them in a little 10 minute minisode that we'll play before the full episodes. It'll come out, they'll come out every Wednesday. So if you want to write a minisode, write me your thoughts, feelings, emotions, ideas about disability. You can write them to our new email address for the podcast. You can write them to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com and then I will read them back to you. That's the, I'll read them back to you and we'll wildly speculate about them together. So submit your things for a minisode to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. And we're back. So I want to thank again our sponsor, Come As You Are. They're amazing. And I want to thank the listeners for doing ads like that. That ad you just heard is from my friend, Max Sargent, who does some porn. He's awesome. And any other porn stars who want to put an ad on the show, let's talk about it because I'd love your support. Oh, also, wait, before we start, I forgot I was gonna I was going to do a proper ad for this. But I want to do some research on sex toys and disability. It's something that I wanted that I wanted to do some research on for a while, and I want to get some I want to get some hard data. Hard data sounds really dirty, and that's awesome. I want to get some hard data for it. So I've created a, a survey monkey survey, and I'd love for you to fill it out for me so we can get some proper data for this. Uh, let me find the link. Because I don't remember what it is, and I didn't have it up when I was supposed to. Let me find the link, and then I will tell you all about it. So, the survey is at www.surveymonkey.com slash r slash sextoydisability. It's really, really simple. The survey will take you all of, like, two minutes, maybe three minutes at most. To, uh, to to do, and I'm focusing primarily my research and, and the this, this stuff that I'm looking at on people with physical disabilities right now. That's kind of what the, where the research is right now. It may expand later, but right now I'm just looking at people living with physical disabilities for the purposes of this particular survey. So if you, if you live with a physical disability and you've thought about using sex toys and you maybe use sex toys but they're, they're problematic and you want to you want to let me know just so that I can do some research for, you know, possibly new episodes, possibly things that I want to talk about more in my work, that would be super helpful. So if you could fill out the survey, I'd super appreciate it. But now let's get back to hot, wet, crippled summer right here on Disability After Dark. So even though I had a lot of girlfriends at camp, quote-unquote girlfriends at camp, my queerness, of course, made itself known in all the subtle ways one might expect for, you know, the, the late 90s to early 2000s. I wanted to be friends with all the cute male staff. I wanted to do everything they were doing, and I wanted to be completely involved in all their lives, all of the time. At this camp, you would have certain counselors who would help you with certain aspects of your care, all of the staff, while they were young, they were also being trained on how to do basic like PCA and personal attendant care for disabled kids. So they were learning how to give showers and how to feed people and how to dress people and how to help them with things. And they were being, you know, trained constantly on this, which I think is a really vital skill. And I love that these camps trained these kids on how to take care of us because, again, 
you don't see much of that in the real world. And it was amazing that these places allowed for that and, you know, did that so properly and did that so well. Um, but as they, because they were trained in all this stuff, I would always want the super attractive counselors or the ones that I found to be super attractive. I would want them to help me to get in bed, to help me get out, like, out of my clothes and undress me in bed. Which, looking back on it now, I was so horny for them all the time because I secretly hoped that if you undress me, we'd end up, like, doing what together. But I secretly hoped that I would get to, like, make out with a counselor if they weren't to undress me in bed or something. And there were moments where at camp where I would try to orchestrate that from happening. (laughs) That was such... I was the camper, if we're looking at, like, summer camp tropes, I was the camper who was almost an adult and was definitely going to cross that line of doing something continually inappropriate. Even though I was the cute, precocious, disabled kid in the wheelchair, I was also, like, the one that was definitely going to stir the pot all the time. One of my most favorite times with counselors when I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna make these this hot, attractive staff member fall in love with me was when we had campfire time. Campfire time was where all the campers and the staff would sit in a circle and, you know, do a campfire. But a lot of the kids with with physical disabilities needed support from the staff. And so what would happen is the staff would sit behind you and support you as you had campfire time. And it was a way for me to be like, I want to sit with the most attractive staff member there and I wanted to be the most attractive guy there and I remember so many campfire times when I would be like hey attractive uh counselor can I sit with you because you you would get to and I remember doing this distinctly you'd sit with your favorite one and you would put I would I would being the flirty kid that I was I would put my head on their chest and just like enjoy the moment with them and it there was something really kind of special about that. I, I fell in love with those moments right then, and I fell in love with so many staff right then, because it was like, oh, you support me, and it was, a, I think, you know, I think what happened at camp was I lived out all the things that I wanted to have happen to me in high school that never really did. Camp was a place where all that stuff could happen, and all those misinterpretations that we often have in high school when we're young happened to me at camp. I mean, I remember feeling totally enamored in those spaces. It was like the romanticism of summer, youth, hormones, while also trying to navigate disability and ableism on all, like, all around all that stuff. So all of that was all mixed in. It was a very, again, it was totally a magical, magical place that I, and I didn't get to have that in the real world. We've talked about my high school experiences. I didn't have any of that. So camp was like a place where all that stuff could play out. And I think many people who were campers there, and staff as well, I think we all kind of felt that pull to be, to have those experiences because we weren't having them elsewhere. I also remember summers where only a few people knew that I was quote-unquote gay at that point. I hadn't, I hadn't addressed my queerness just yet, but gay was the term I was using at the time. And we had secret codes to discuss my, my gayness together. My friend and I called it, we wrote big long letters back and forth to each other at camp and then after camp in the late 90s. And we 
called my queerness ice cream. So we would say like, hey, are you? do you want to ha- go get some ice cream when we want to talk about me being queer? And we go do that. And it, w- it was just really stupid. But it was fun because I got to learn about codifying my, my queerness in a way that, again, I hadn't yet done in the real world. Camp also allowed me to develop the little dirtiness, the little dirty glint behind my eyes that I have now and that I've harnessed into a job for myself. I was the archetypal camper who wanted to know what was going on with everyone. Who I lived in double entendre and in innuendo. Now, they weren't always good double entendres or innuendo, but I was learning how to do all that. And I was learning how to be just a little bit dirty. And there were many, many moments where I was like the, the inappropriate camper who would say the thing you're never supposed to say. I would say it. And be like, oops, sorry, didn't know. Haha, <laughs> funny. But I love that. I love that the the camp allowed me to nurture that side of myself because when I left camp, I was much quieter, much more reserved, and camp was a place where all of those feelings could come rushing out. I remember distinctly two summers where I fell in love pretty hardcore at Disabled Summer Camp, and I want to share those with you because they were... They were really, really important to me, and they kind of, they really, they helped me explore sexuality in a way that I hadn't yet before. Um, So I want to, I want to share them with you. So it was just after I came out in 2000, and it was one of my last summers at camp, because you were only allowed to go there as a camper until you were 18, and it was one of my last summers there. Uh, And so it was like summer of 2000. There was a counselor at at this summer camp, and we will call him for the purposes of this podcast. His name is Tom. This is definitely not his real name, but for this experience, his name is Tom. He was cute, funny. He had curly black hair. He was adorable. He was lanky and tall and just a really attractive guy. I liked him almost immediately. Um, And he was also clearly, very clearly gay. He also happened to be the camp lifeguard, so this totally played into my fantasy of making out with a boy in a pool. I was like, yes, you're the lifeguard? Amazing, let's let things happen in the pool. Um, One day, he and I were swimming together. This is also one of the most coveted moments at camp. Swimming with the counselor, the one that you like the most, is literally the sexiest thing you could do as a disabled camper, trying to figure this shit out, because like... That person who's the sexiest person ever has to make sure you don't drown. There's something kind of hot about that, right? Disabled damsel in distress, maybe? Uh, but that's that. I, I loved swimming with the hot counselors because if you did have an emergency, they would have to save you. And that's kind of hot. Um, or was in my brain at the time. So we were swimming one day and... I have in the notes is one of the most coveted things at camp, and that's it's the coveted things at camp. If you were a ball of spasms and hormones, to swim with your, to swim with your hottest counselor is is great. If you're a ball of spasms and hormones, and so we were swimming, we were laughing, we were joking about something, and all of a sudden Tom passed me off to another counselor rather abruptly and left the pool, and I was like, oh, that's weird. What what happened? And so I found out later that he had an erection in the pool and didn't want me to know. 
P.S. I also had an erection in the pool and didn't want him to know. So it was really good that he passed me off to another counselor. Tom and I also had a moment where we almost made out, and that was fun and hot. At this particular camp, every day or so, you could pick a counselor to have one-on-one time with, like buddy time. And at 16, I picked Tom one day. I was like, hey, let's go for buddy time. And it was very clear that he and I liked each other right away. It was very clear that there was something more than just camper counselor deal happening. And I was kind of I was kind of hoping for that, which which tells you why I like older men or men of authority because I like to break those rules and play with that because so anyway I was super into him and I could tell he was into me too um, and so I was like let's go for one-on-one time and we were walking we were going around the campsite in that beautifully awkward way you do when you like somebody and all I could hear was his feet crunching and my wheelchair going on over gravel and we weren't really saying much to each other because we were both silently looking for a place where we could make out, but we were worried that we were going to get caught, so we didn't end up making out. We saw each other once after that at some event that he invited me to, but he bought his boyfriend, and then he tried to say, well, I could give you a... Uh, so I, I went to this thing after camp, and he was like, oh, I could give you a handy in the bathroom, and I was like, oh, no, I want to, like, you're seeing somebody, and that's weird, and you won't tell them, and that's strange, so I didn't... We'd never saw each other again, but that memory of the summer camp part was fun, and I was really into him until he w- tried to dirtily do me in the bathroom without, you know, checking with his boyfriend first. I wasn't okay with that at 17. Um, so yeah, that happened. That was also one of the first times a boy properly, like ghosted me or or not ghosted he mosted me where he was like i'm really into you let's do all the things yeah yeah after camp we'll totally meet up and like make out and do the things and then he um he just disappeared and that really sucked and it was the first time of many times where i would be mosted as a disabled person and it really don't most people and most thing if you're listening and you're like i know what ghosting is but what is mosting mosting is where you will overly praise somebody a lot and then when the time comes to like do the thing you disappear so yeah i've been mosted many many times by many different men and don't do that but this particular time in camp was super super painful because i knew he was gay and i knew he was into me and i had two of the three things that i wanted except for he wouldn't follow through and that sucked my teenage heart did not like that there were many diaries which i wish i could find I'm sure I deleted them, but I know I wrote about it to people somewhere because I was not happy about it. And then there was a friendship I built with a counselor there one summer, and this was one of the ones, one of those moments where it changes your life forever and it makes you really different and really it, it just transforms who you are. And it's, it's the moment in your life where you grow up really fast, and this guy was the one who grew me up really fast, I think, and he didn't even realize it, because he, unlike Tom, this guy who's, who I will not name, he was a college football star, totally muscular, beautiful in every way, funny, sweet, kind, totally straight, and this time I knew he was straight, and there was no, there was no, like, inkling in my mind that he might be gay and we might try something, he was definitely straight, and he was my counselor there one summer, and... 
we became friends pretty fast. We joked around and, and just became friends. We were friendly with each other. I, I, he, he became my friend. I became his want-to-be lover at, like, 16. And he, I fell madly in love with him right away. But that's totally normal, right? Everybody falls in love with their friend at some point. And I totally, completely did. I remember thinking, how did this beautiful guy get here? How did he end up doing this? And he's going to do my care? Amazing. He was one of the counselors that I wanted to have shower me all the time. And believe me, I used my disability to get that so hard. I'd always be like, oh, could you help me shower, please? Because in the shower, the guy has to have his shirt off with you so he doesn't get wet. So it was little moments of queerness and disability like that that I really loved. That made camp so, so special for me. Little moments like that. So he was my counselor back in 1998, where I fell in love hardcore. And after that summer in 99, I wanted to go back to camp as a leader in training. So it was I wanted to be a leader, which would eventually lead me to be a counselor. But I quickly realized that because of my level of disability, being a counselor at a camp for disabled kids didn't necessarily make sense. But I wanted to go anyway, so I needed to hire an attendant to go with me to this camp for the, the two weeks for training. And so I decided that I would hire this former counselor of mine, and I selfishly hired him because I wanted to fall in love with him, and I wanted him to fall in love with me. So I was like, if I hire him one-on-one, -on -one, and he has to do my care one-on-one, -on -one, there will be one point during this moment where he must realize that we love each other, and everything will fall into place. Obviously that would happen, because who wouldn't fall in love with me if we were working one-on-one -on -one together, right? And you had to do all my care. Who wouldn't fall right in love with me, right? I mean, come on. So this is a great, great plan I had. Except, not so much. So, when we got there, I tried to use my disability as a reason why he and I had to spend like extra long time together, I would say things like, oh, I need some private time to do stretches, or I need to do physio, or I need to blah, blah, blah. I would make up all these lies about why we had to go away together, alone together. So ridiculous, and it was so transparent, too. He would later tell me that he knew all this the whole time, but he went along because he knew that I was just trying to figure shit out. Uh, <laughs> but I, I would I would try to to corner him and like get him alone to do stuff with me to touch me in quote-unquote physiotherapy sort of ways so we could have moments together which which in retrospect Andrew you're so ridiculous don't do that so uh so then he eventually started dating another counselor there as you would do I found this information out and I turned into the hugest biggest diva i was pissed i was like how dare you you're mine i brought you here no 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 <laughs> i could not handle it i freaked out so one day i was in arts and crafts and i distinctly remember this i was in the arts and crafts cabin and i really had to pee and he wasn't with me he had gone off to have lunch or something he wasn't with me so i went to go find him and i found him except he was at the edge of camp making out with that other counselor that he was dating. And she was also a friend of mine at the time. And I lost my shit. I freaked out so hard. It was the most dramatic teen CW 
moment of my whole life because I remember turning around my chair in a huff, which is hilarious because when you turn your chair around in anger, it makes all these clicks. So it doesn't sound like you're huffing away. It just sounds like you're moving your chair. So I turned my chair around in a huff. And I was like, no, this is not happening. Oh, my God. And I sped down the pathway where, where I went to go find him. And it was a gravel pathway. So all you could hear was my chair clicking, me crying, and, and, and like, the gravel crunching under my wheels. So, so dramatic. And I was also by a lake. So I remember making this dramatic turn to look at the lake as I was, like, running away to make it more dramatic in my head. It was, very, it was a very Sarah Bernhardt. Very, very CW dramatic moment that I was trying to that I was trying to orchestrate here. So he followed me back to go pee, and he could see that I was super mad and super upset, and I was crying. And he goes, "Hey, man, like, what's 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 wrong with you there? What's wrong? What's going on?" And I was like, I remember being such a diva about it, and I said, "Don't you see? I'm in love with you." Sitting in my wheelchair, like, with the urinal on my dick trying to pee. Like, loudly protesting that I loved him. <laughs> and I remember the look on his face was just like, Oh, sorry, man. I'm straight, and I'm totes not into you that way. But I like you as a friend. <laughs> like, there's that. And... So then after that, we didn't talk for like a week. Um, and we had one more week left to work with each other. We didn't talk for a week. And I was super annoyed with him. But then years later, we we talked about it. And he goes, oh yeah, I always knew you had a thing for me. And it was super cute, but I wasn't indie that way, obviously. But it was cute that you you kind of pined after me. So you made me f- my ego feel nice. And I was like, oh, that's cute, but I secretly loved you forever. We're friends now, and it's cool. And he has four kids, and... They're adorable, and it's great. So, But those are the two counselors that I super fell in love with. And I, you know, as a disabled camper, who, as a disabled kid who never thought that this stuff would happen, when I started thinking about it and realizing that I kind of did have a high school experience, but at camp, I had to share it. And camp allowed for that. Camp allowed for all these cool moments to happen that we may not have had otherwise. One last moment that I remember that cemented my queerness at camp. One summer that I was there, there was a there was a really cute ginger counselor who was with us on an L trip, which is this thing where the 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 camp would take us would take kids with complex disabilities and a lot of complex care needs out in tents to experience camping. Which I understand, but I also never really understood, like, why we need power. Taking us out in the woods is a super bad idea. We shouldn't know. So they would take us to the campground to do this stuff. And one day it was raining. I remember I remember that one morning it rained. It was a thunderstorm or something. And the, the cute ginger counselor hopped in my tent with me, and he just had underwear on. And I remember we had to huddle up each other for warmth, and I was like, this is the greatest moment ever, and it just, it really cemented my queerness for sure, and it was really cool that at a disabled camp, I got to realize all these things all at once. One of the things we do at the end of every summer is have a banquet, and we'd have a banquet to say goodbye to the session of campers, 
And so every summer I would buy a little notebook that my favorite counselors could write their addresses in and we would write each other letters or their phone numbers or something. We would we would have each other's contact info. And every summer I would get a ton of of messages in those books. But I would secretly hope that the really attractive male staff members would be like, hey, I'll write in your book. Because, you know, I never got that. That never happened to me in high school where the good-looking guy in high school would write in my yearbook. Never happened. But at camp, it would happen, and it made my it just made me feel really super like important that the cute staff member who probably didn't even realize that I was into them but was just being nice was like writing in my writing in my book that I got for those moments. They, they, it just really the camp was a really important place for me growing up, and it really did help me solidify my queerness and disability into one thing, and it really it really helped shape who I am now. So I'm really, really proud of the moments I had there, and I hope that I could share some of that with you today. And I hope you enjoyed my ridiculously embarrassing stories of being young and at camp and trying to get laid as a disabled kid. So there you go. All right. Hope you enjoyed this one. Also, uh, send in your things for the Minnesotes, please. I want to do more Minnesotes. As you're listening to this, I'm actually in Sydney, Australia right now as you're listening to this um, because... I'm on a family vacay, so as you may, there may or may not be one next week. I'm not sure whether I'll be back or feeling good about it, or if I can get one done before then and put it out for that week, I will. Otherwise, I will do more episodes when I get back, and it won't be long. It'll be a week, so you may miss a week, a week and a half of without me, but I'll be back soon, and we'll do more episodes. So thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this one. Bye! Alright, so that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. I'm, of course, your host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of this. If you want to follow my work, you can head on over to www.andrewgerza.com or follow me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza. You can also follow the Disability After Dark podcast on Twitter by following DisAftDarkPod. You can also follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash disabilityafterdark. It would also be super awesome if you could leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can hear about the show. And if you are able and want to support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash cripple content. This way we can do, do things like get better equipment you help me make a living doing this thing. You help support content made but made by and for people with disabilities. So I can't thank you enough. And you can pledge whatever you can and as little as $1 a month to make it as financially accessible as possible. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you again next time right here on Disability After Dark. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations, with music by Chris Ujiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright, Crippled Content Creations, 2018.